0: Hello and welcome to Kura Football, a platform for English Premier League fans in the Middle East. This is From the Emirates, our very own Arsenal show. I go by the name Mo and I am your host. To kick off our podcast, we have a very special three part series commemorating Arsenal's greatest ever manager, Arsene Wenger. Our guest today is Paul Day, who is a lifelong Arsenal fan and season ticket holder from 1981. Together, we'll be looking back on the glory years. We hope you enjoy the show. We really want to know from your perspective, growing up as an Arsenal fan, you know, we we talk a lot about what it means to be an Arsenal fan, what it means to be part of this Arsenal family. And that's really um, what the club puts out there, that this is a family club. You know, Victoria Concordia Crescent, you know, victory through harmony. How is it for you, growing up in the UK, watching Arsenal, and uh, you know, really experiencing the club before the Wenger time?
1: Well, I, I, I thank you for inviting me on. By the way, um, I'm I'm going to be fifty in a couple of months, so I've I've been watching Arsenal for you know quite a long time before Wenger turned up. My dad took me over to my first game um, when I was five, um, 1976 against West Ham. We won 6-1. Um, and I don't know if you've ever seen the film Fever Pitch, which uh, uh, Nick Hornby's book. Um, yeah. There's a, bit, there's a bit where his dad takes him to the, the game for the first time. And you see it from the child's perspective of going up the steps into you know, this huge coliseum of, you know, ugly men swearing and smoke and and just you know noise and and this eruption and and and, and it, i actually watched it just after my father had died and it brought tears to my eyes when i was at the cinema because it was um just really brought back to the feeling of a child going in to see something like that and you know it was sort of like a real uh, growing up experience to to be part of that um and so we weren't particularly successful i think we came 17th in the league that year um and we had, we had the FA Cups in 1979, which we won and we lost in 78 and 80. But during the 1980s, we were not a particularly good club. We, you know, we were mid-table at best. Um, and then George Graham arrived in, I think, probably 1986, I think it would have been. Um, and he had, a, I think when you look at both Graham and Wenger, they had uh, a distinct advantage, the pair of them. George Graham came from lower league football, so he was the manager of Millwall. He had a really good understanding of all the players in the lower leagues. So he managed to get us a, a defence. When you think how much players go for now, you know, Maguire was, I don't know, how many millions of pounds. He, he got Winterburn, Dixon and Bold for, I think, £1.2 million together. So They were, they were about £400,000 each. From uh, Two of them come from Stoke. Winterburn came from Wimbledon, I think. Um, and then we also, obviously had Tony Adams as well. So we had a fantastic defence. And those, that, that, when we won the league in 89 and when we won the league in 91, we, we were really, really good. We had an excellent side. We had, you know, we had Paul Davis, uh, Michael Thomas, David Brocastle, uh, Brian Marwood on the wing, and then that became Anders Limpath in 1991. And we were really creative. But as we went through the 90s, we just regressed we had ian wright who was an exceptional striker and we had a fantastic defense but the midfield was just became more and more pedestrian so you know we'd we'd have games where we'd start with uh selly uh morrow hillier jensen and then you know ian selly was quite creative but it it was just quite dull to watch and we we were a good cup side um but you know, I'd, I'd go to games and we'd win 1-0 and I'd go home thinking, I wish we'd lost 4-3. I wish we'd seen something that was quite exciting, you know? And and that sort of, that changed really when Bruce Riok arrived, because Bruce Riok made the signings of, of Dennis Bergkamp and David Platt. And, and that, I think, started a bit of a change. You know, Dennis took a while to get going, but Dennis was just a magnificent, magnificent player. Um, and at the time that uh, RIOC left, there was a lot of talk about who we were going to get as manager and, you know, as fans, you're always, who do you want? You know, Johan Cruyff was one of the names people were talking about, Terry Venables. It was a time before the internet, really. I had never, ever heard of Arsene Winger, you know? So when he arrived, it I was- Arsene right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. But the funny thing is, well, I was already excited because a month before he started, he, he signed, um, we, we saw Patrick Vieira play for the first time. Um, yeah. And I, I was looking at it this morning actually, I've got the, um, the, the, the team lineups. So we played Sheffield Winter, who could have, could have gone top. Um, and our, our team to start was, was Seaman, Dixon, Bold, Keown, at and Linegan, and Winterburns, so who had five at the back. We had Paul Mercer, Ray Parler, David Platt, John Hartson, and Ian Wright. So it was 10 Englishmen and a Welshman. And, and Patrick Vieira was on the bench. We were one nil down and he came on. And I remember it was a midweek game. He was absolutely magnificent. You know, we used to call him long legs because he just had these telescopic legs and he used to gallop across the ground. You know, and, and it really was. That, that, that excited, he excited me more than Arsene Wenger arriving excited me. Um, he, he was such a tremendous player. And as I say, where, where George Graham had that knowledge of the lower leagues, Arsene Wenger had the knowledge of European football at a time when teams partic- didn't particularly have many overseas players. So he, you know, he bought. He, we got Remigard and Patrick Vieira before Wenger um, even started at the club, and then he managed to bring in so many overseas players who were um, good value and, you know, just made the team so much more expressive. And that, that that sort
0: of sorry, 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 to cut you off there, but we we're, we're, we're talking about england in a time and, and the english league when you know foreign players and and, very, and even more foreign managers were, were unheard of and probably the only big foreign players that time would have been eric katana and uh yeah i'm struggling to think of anyone else and yeah, here but- comes this 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 entity from japan you know arson who I mean, you you seemed excited by it when he signed Patrick Vieira, and I think uh, Petit joined around the same time. But, but what, what was the mood like in the stadium when when and and very much in the community of of Arsenal fans when um, you know Arsenal came in and he he brought his 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 uh, French uh, his French contingent with him. Yeah,
1: well, I think that, that I think that the fact that we'd seen. Vieira play before Wenger arrived. had already got the fans on side. You know I, that's the thing with football is you always want the you know the the, the people that you've heard of you know to, to come and, and join and the big stars. But he what he managed to do is he bought players that w- were people that you you hadn't heard of, right? So Nicholas Anelka, who well, I've seen yeah. the documentary recently on on um, uh, uh, what's Netflix, uh, Netflix, right, and. I didn't realize he was doing so well at Paris Saint-Germain. I thought he was a reserve player, but you know, he, he came in half a million quid. He was just, it was just amazing. You know, the, 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 when he bought, um, <clears throat> I remember when he bought Colo Toure a little bit, a little while after and you know, Colo Toure, I think we played against Ajax in the, in the Champions League and he played at uh, fullback and he yeah. got absolutely roasted. he was useless. And then we went up to see some pre-season friendlies in, uh, against Rangers and Celtic because we wanted to go to the two grounds. And he put Colo Touriau centre back. we're like, are you mad? What are you doing? And he bought this kid for I don't know what it was, hundred thousand pounds or something from Beverham yeah. in Belgium, and he was exceptional alongside Sol Campbell. So uh, I, think, uh, I think that I think that the proof that the reason that people were on side with him, a we've been through quite a lean spell. You know, Dennis Bergkamp was playing well, Ian Wright was playing well, and. Seeing Vieira, you know, rule the midfield. you thought you thought to yourself, well, if if that's the sort of player, the quality of the player that he can bring in that we've not heard of, then um, you know, it's starting to get quite exciting because we had to say that that the latter part of George Graham's tenure had become really hard work as a fan. It, 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 what, there was a lot of games that just weren't exciting to go and see, even though we were doing okay. Um, i thought after 91 you know we could really progress and we just didn't we just went backwards and and with with the the rioch um getting in dennis bergkamp and then and then um wenger coming in and and starting to bring these players in we started to 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 really look like a a solid team again and i think people started to get excited and and it wasn't like you know when you look at um Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, he took quite a long time to to get going. You know, he'd been very successful at Aberdeen, but I think he didn't win anything for four or five years. Wenger had a great defence right at the start and he brought players in to complement what we had up front as well. And and it really changed us straight away. So it was, um, you got got a sense that we could do something, you know, good and play a, a really attractive style of football as well, which is what people were crying out for, I think.
0: Uh, and, you know, the, the more modern Arsenal or the association that more that younger fans have with the club is, is really what was shaped by Arsene Wenger. Uh, and I think we were very much spoiled by this, you know, free-flowing, att- attacking football, which was, especially in the early 2000s, was extremely dominant. Um, do you think that... Fans that never really saw a pre Wenger Arsenal maybe pre judged him once we got to the later years because they never saw, you know, the the latter years of George Graham, especially what can happen with, you know, unattractive football without winning titles. So, and my question, I guess, is as an Arsenal fan that saw many different um, generations of the club. What do you think is more important to the DNA of Arsenal? Playing well or winning titles?
1: I think it depends where you are at that point in time. I, I, I take, you know, you look at someone uh, like Chelsea, for example. Chelsea hadn't won the league for so many years. Um, and when they won it in 2004, 2005, I think they won it, didn't they? Um, they'd have won it, they'd, they'd have taken that title. Playing any way, any which way, because they just hadn't won it for such a long time, and I think maybe we're in that sort of situation now because we haven't won the league for sixteen years. Um, but I, I think it's it's a rarity to be able to to have a team that plays beautiful football and is successful. Um, and I and when we won the league in nineteen eighty nine, um, I was eighteen, and I didn't think we would ever win the league. Growing up as a kid, it was something that Liverpool did. You know, Liverpool were so successful. Everton were quite good as well in the in the 1980s. But you you don't when you haven't had that for such a long time, you don't really care. You, attractive football, who cares? Just win the game one nil. You know, um, get a lucky penalty in the last minute, just just to just to win the game. That's because that's all that matters is that title. But we were, I think, we were exceptionally spoiled because we did it. We had both. We had one of the most attractive sides in the whole of Europe. And we were winning things as well. So it was it was absolutely, you know, a fantastic thing. I I'm I love the game. I'm I'm you know, I, I love if if Spurs score a fantastic goal, I appreciate it. You know, I, I I'm I'm quite I like watching no, I do say strange yeah. right? But I'm not i I'm not one of those people that's that's really, really partisan and you know, hating yeah. the other club. You know? I I I just like watching, you know, great players when when you when people talk about your favorite player at arsenal what one person that always stands out is canu because canu used to do things that i'd never yeah. dreamed of been able to do you know he was just it was incredible it just just used to make you laugh right you know yeah. um,
0: that's, jumping that's, over bars and
1: exactly that's why i'm i'm always you know i'm the the, the messy ronaldo debate i'm always a messy fan because he's just he's so artistic where where Ronaldo's an exceptional footballer, but he's an exceptional athlete. But he, you know, Messi just does things that just make you go, you know, wow. And that, that's what Canudel yeah. Berg can do, you know. Um, so I, I, I think ultimately people want success. People want to win things. You know, that's why I like the fact that we've won the FA Cup recently because it's great for the fans to have a trophy. But I think if you're if you're someone that watches the games, either at the stadium or on the TV, you want to watch your team play well you know you want them to do to go to go away and chat and say wasn't that a fantastic piece of skill you know when when you saw yesterday the game against man city um uh, saka played fantastically yesterday you know and even though we didn't perform particularly well you come away saying he had a really cracking game you know and that's just i i i i'm i like football for the artistry of it um and so i you know I, i i don't mind us not winning a league, but if we have played fantastic football during the season then that's good for me. And I, I guess as we went on into the second half of Wenger's tenure probably because of the new stadium, and certainly because of money that was being thrown at Chelsea and then Latter-day Man City, it just became more difficult for us to compete like that because we just didn't have
0: to play. Absolutely. So speaking of beautiful football, uh, Arsene comes in, buys these Unknown players to to most right. You have Emmanuel Petit, Patrick Vieira, Nicolas Anelka, and lo and behold, one year later, we're winning the league. Well, what, what what did people think? You know, I mean, we it, it was the beginning of a, of or right on the cusp of United's dominance over the league, and here comes this this guy from from Japan and and absolutely transforms, not just the way, you know, football is being played in England, but everything around the game, you know, he, he, he really professionalized the club. We were playing at, at um, I think it was at UCL. Uh, we didn't have a training ground and he comes in and he, he they find uh, a beautiful ground at Colney, and suddenly, you know, it's, it's looking good for Arsenal. What, what were, the, what were the fans thinking when that first uh, double uh, FA Cup and and Premier League first Premier League title for Arsenal?
1: Oh, it was just tremendous, right? You know, United United had been dominating. You know, I think Blackburn won it in '94, but United were really, really strong, and you know they were very strong in midfield. And to have a team that could go and compete, and that game that we won one nil up there um, with Overmars scoring was just you know just fantastic. You just saw that that the eruption in the, in the, the away end, you know, that, that guy that's just like screaming, you know, uh, the, the guy with the dark hair that you see all the time on the, on the video clips. Um, it was, it was, uh, just fantastic. It was quite emotional for me. My dad had died a couple of years beforehand. And, um, I remember being at the cup final in 98 and, and when an Elka went through and made it to two nil, it just you uh, it was, um, quite poignant. I, I wish my dad had been there to have seen it because he would have, he, he would have loved it so much. You know, it was, um, I was the youngest of three and my two older brothers supported other clubs and my dad say, so took me over when I was five and he said, always support Arsenal. He said, you will always see the best players. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, we'll never get relegated. He said, we'll always be in the top flight. So even if we're not the best, you'll see the best. And to be there at that game, I thought to myself, you know, we're seeing the best and they're on our team, you know, and it was fantastic. So and Anne- Elko was fabulous. He really was one of those could run through a puddle without making a splash. And that that was I think that was that was a a sad point. Although it helped develop the club, when he left and went to Real Madrid, that was the first time in sort of a prolonged part when we were successful, every summer people were going to leave. You know, this player, that player were going to be bought, you know, Vieira, every summer Vieira was a transfer target for Real Madrid or Barcelona or Juventus or whoever. Um, and that became quite draining. But, but the sale of Anelper allowed us to, A, build that, the, the training facility, which was the best in the world at the time, um, and also to go and get Thierry Henry, you know, which, say I, I thought Anelka was great, and I wish Anelper had have stayed for longer because he, he should have had a much better career than he did, even though he was quite successful. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone will ever look at Anelka and think of him, you know, as a legend at their club. And, and the amount of clubs he's played for yeah. was just crazy, right? Um, but Thierry Henry was, say, from a, a skinny kid playing out on the wing in the 98 World Cup, which was the first time I was aware of him, to what he became was was just phenomenal. What, I mean, what an absolutely a fantastic, fantastic footballer. So, um,
0: so Anelka yeah. leaves and, and Thierry comes in in 99 and, um, you know, we've just won the double. Where, where where you know fans are going crazy, and then nothing. Uh, Ninety nine United wins the treble, and Arsenal don't see much success until two thousand two. So you have this era of Wenger, building something special, and and you can kind of see it. You know, with with the type of players coming in, he's tinkering. You know. It, it, who's gonna who's gonna really take us to the next level? You know, he brings in Silvino, Silvino doesn't really work out. He goes he goes to Spain, he brings in all these different players and they're coming in and they're coming out. And you can see a bit of a tinkering, but the spine of this team mostly remains solid. And just before we we start to hit that success, Arsene calls for a press conference and you know you you hear the 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 journalists who were there on the day and, and they thought you know there's something unremarkable it might be a loan signing and 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 who comes out it's it's still Campy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was
0: um, what, what was that like
1: <laughs> well it's funny actually because obviously there's a huge rivalry between Arsenal and Tottenham so there were quite a lot of fans that didn't want him to come they hated the guy because he was Tottenham's captain I think he was Tottenham's captain um, and, you know, would never shout his name. He was the bloke from Tottenham. And, uh, but, you say, he was, he was fantastic for us. I, I think when, when, when you look back, well, you know, say I've been watching football for a long time. The, the managers that stand out as truly great managers are ones that can, that can win the title with two different teams. As in, at the same club. So, when you look at Manchester United, Alex Ferguson was it was incredible, right? And if you look at the teams that won the league, they changed so vastly, you know. And, and when you look at, uh, say, that, that first game that, that Wenger took charge in, um, your the defence was, was Dixon, Winterburn, Bold, uh, Adams or Keown and Adams. Then, by the latter era, we had Lauren, Colo Toure, was wasn't a centre back, Sol Campbell and Ashley Cole, you know, and Ashley Cole was a winger when he was playing at Crystal Palace on loan. Um, so he, he he created a brand new defence, and 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 the thing that made Ars- the Arsenal a strong team during the nineties was our defence, and he made a whole new defence, and I think that that's a real testament to to his vision. Um, putting people in in different positions. I think a lot of people
0: don't give him credit for that, you know. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, Arsene inherited that famous back four of, of, you know, Adams and so on. But, yeah, I mean, no one really looks back and says, we went from a very, you know, traditional English back four to probably more of a continental um, ball playing back four that, you know, in 2002 goes on to win... The title and, and in an absolutely fantastic in a fantastical way um so yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I totally agree and, and i think that they um you know but, but one thing that he did when you speak to all of those the 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 original back four or five that they had that he prolonged their career that you know but the, the the days of you know winning the the, the cup against uh, Sheffield Wednesday and Paul Merson's doing all this stuff to the crowd. That totally changed, you know, they they were, they started to take it seriously. And that's, and that's something that I think is one of his big legacies is that he, he's changed the way that everybody does it in UK football. So nutrition became something that was totally, totally changed. And, and, and that, and that goes to, you know, even to, to people like Sam Allardyce, right? Sam Allardyce, Took on board all of his nutritional things, and and football just totally changed. You know, it used to be them going down the pub after training and going to the betting shop. Yeah. Was, you know, everything everything altered with Arsene Wenger, and it allowed players who were potentially coming to the end of their career get another two or three seasons just by looking after themselves a bit more. So um, I think I think that's sort of for the game as a whole. That's quite a, a, a huge legacy for him.
0: So I was reading his book, which. I mean we'll probably end up doing a, a book review in another video, but um, I think Arson should have hired a writer, but uh, so but he did have some interesting um, tidbits here and there, and what he used to call it was off the field training and it, it, it's such an interesting way of looking at it, you know that the player has sort of two responsibilities, the first being how he represents himself. On the pitch, in terms of his training and, and on the day, you know, match day. But off the pitch, he also had to look after himself. And he does sort of talk about how uh, the personal life is not something which he gets involved in. But the player has to do this off the field training, which is looking after their body, eating the right things. Uh, he, he says that, you know, after the games, he got the, the players used to have Mars bars and sodas. And, you know, he, today, you know, we, we're laughing at that because how can an athlete, you know, at halftime or, or at the end of a game have a Mars bar? But, you know, at the time, this was revolutionary. And and, and like you said, rightly so, he, these players said that he prolonged their careers. And, uh, yeah, this guy absolutely transformed what, what it means to, to, to be a football player in England. And, uh it was very much about the mentality of winning, and he he believed so much in this mentality of winning that in two thousand three we had two major moments for the club two thousand two two thousand three the first you know after the two thousand two um title arson goes on to say that we're gonna go two thousand to, to two thousand three season undefeated and they announced. The Emirates. So, you know, it seemed like a ridiculous thing in in 2002, 2003 when he said that. And, you know, the players later said that that put a lot of pressure on him that season and that's why they didn't win. But what what did fans think when this guy comes out and says, you know, uh, we're we're going to be invincible"?
1: I think he was bad. He was quoted. I I think that he... I think it was a response to a question about whether it was feasible to do it. And he said, I don't see why you can't do it. And then from that, they take him saying they're going to go unbeaten. I think if you look back in 90, when we won the league in 91 under George Graham, I think we only lost at Chelsea. We lost 2-1 at Chelsea when Steve Ball got sent off. But I think we did another game during the whole of that season. Obviously, Liverpool has shown it's very difficult to go a season unbeaten. You know, they were exceptional last year and still lost to Watford and then it sort of, the wheels came off a bit. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm not... It's just one of those things the press like to big up, someone saying like, that. They, they like people falling on their yeah. faces, don't they? So I, I, don't, I don't recall, I don't know whether it says it in the book, but I don't recall him coming out and saying, we're going to go a season unbeaten. I think his point was, it's possible for a team to go unbeaten. Why not? Yeah. And I think that happened, in, I think that the 2002, we might have only lost one game in that season as well. I think, not quite sure. Um, but um, I think we didn't. We didn't. We go the whole season, and we didn't lose an away
0: game or something. I think uh, there, there was something, uh, it, you know, something similar to that sort, where we were showing signs of, you know, uh, that that invincible, you know, aura around these players, and then um, yeah. So he, he, whether or not he was misquoted, he did say that he said something along those lines, and the players did tell him later that. Um, it had a to, it had a, it took its toll on them, and we're talking about players that were, you know, these were these were colossal players, and, and and not just you know in the way they played, but in the way they 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 thought about the game, right? You, you're talking about Sol Campbell and, and Patrick Vieira, arguably two of uh, Arsenal's greatest ever players. Um, so yeah, this was this was a crazy time, and and obviously the other big event was that.
1: I think I think with that, you know, I'd, I'd say I, I don't think he came out and made a prediction we're going to go the season unbeaten. But I remember it did get a lot of press. It was in, you know, it, yeah. it was, And and he wasn't and he wasn't someone to come out and say, you know, to deny those. So he just let it roll. And it, it, it that was his thought that a team could potentially go the season unbeaten, and he proved them right. You know, a couple of years later. So yeah. um, I'm just looking at the league. We lost three games when we won it in 2002. So. Uh, I'm not
0: quite sure who not a bad haul. No, no, no. <laughs> but it but the fine. other big event yeah the, the other big event was announcing that we were leaving you know probably one of the most legendary stadiums in English football in in Highbury I mean you you spoke a bit about going 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 to Highbury with you with your with your dad very early on um can you tell, you know, for, for a lot of fans, I mean, myself included, the first time I, I actually went to see Arsenal Live was in 2010. Um, so I never got to experience, you know, those marble halls. And I think that's the case for a lot of, you know, more modern and younger Arsenal fans. Can you tell us a little bit about what that felt? You know, both as going to Highbury over the years and then hearing that, you know, we, we were going to leave
1: um, <clears throat> I, I loved Highbury. I, I much prefer Highbury to the Emirates. The Emirates is a fantastic arena, but, but but Highbury was a proper football stadium. You know, you were much closer to the pitch. Um, before it went, um, uh, the north bank got converted into seats. You know, you had the clock end and you had the north bank full of people on terraces. Um, and, you know, the, the, to see, there's one thing you don't see in football particularly now. I think there's a couple of German stadiums that have got standing areas. But, you know, it used to be like a sea of people moving. And when goals scored, you know, the, the, the crowd was just all over the place. Just it was fabulous, fabulous thing. And the, to see, you know, big, big games in midweek um, under floodlights when we would do well was just fantastic. You know, the, 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 the crowd used to be, <clears throat> it just used to be electric. Um, and, and also, we used to sit. I, I, I got my first season ticket in 1981, so I've been, you know, I went to see quite most of the games during the eighties at home. Um, and when we got to the, uh, I think it was, I think we played somewhere in the semi-final of the League Cup, and where we used to come out of the ground, the um, Arsenal dressing room was just above where yeah. we came out. And they had windows that would open up, and Ian Wright's hanging out there shouting and screaming yeah. at all the fans. <laughs> and it, and it, you, you felt like you were much, I mean, you know, the Emirates is very sanitized compared to that. That was a, you know, it was a mm. proper old football stadium. And unfortunately, <clears throat> it's, it's not, there aren't many of those left. You know, I guess if you go to somewhere like Fulham, it'll probably be like that on a on a big day. And a Crystal Palace is quite like that. You know, they've they've got really good atmosphere. But w- w- Highbury used to be fantastic, and uh, people used to call it the Highbury Library, so we didn't make much noise. But so on on big games, there was the, the atmosphere was fantastic. We um, I remember we played um, uh, Juventus in the semi final of the Cup Winners' Cup in 1980 we drew 1-1 one, one, and I think there was like 56,000 people in the ground for Highbury was, was huge. I mean, it, the people were just rammed everywhere. And remember, we, we drove up and we had to park like two miles away from the ground because we they just they, we couldn't find it anywhere to park, we bought, it took us ages to get to the ground. And the place was just, you know, the, the, the excitement was was really, really fantastic there. Um, and I, I miss it. I, I, I think it was uh, it was a, a It was a a wonderful place. And I understand the intentions of moving to the new ground. Um, I I, I just think that what's actually happened since we moved has meant that that, the idea, you know, this idea that we was going to compete with Bayern Munich or with, um, you know, on the world stage because of the extra game revenue, matchday revenue has been superseded by television revenue now. So, I don't think it would have made much difference if we'd have stayed at Highbury. <clears throat> and it might have meant we wouldn't have had to sell Samir Nasri, Robin Van Persie, <clears throat> all these players that we we're selling you know Colo Tour, yeah. and we, you know to come a bought half of our side Gail Cliche. We, we possibly wouldn't have needed to do that because we'd have been in a better position financially. Um, so, but yeah I, I, I always wanted to buy one of the flats there because it's uh, you know one of the apartments because it's it's a beautiful, beautiful building. Um, I don't yeah. know if you've ever you've ever been down there because it's you know it's, it's yeah. a mile and the frontage is still there so um, yeah it's, a, it's it's it holds a lot of great memories for me that place it was uh, it was excellent.
0: So you find out that um, you know this this hall of memories is about to to go away and you're moving into this fancy new stadium in a couple of years and we lose the league. Uh, I think it wasn't we weren't too far off United that season, but then uh in the summer we go and buy this crazy German stick him in goal. And uh you're probably thinking, you know, oh my god, what were the days of David Seaman? Um but then we go 38 games that season undefeated, and we obviously we go on to uh extend that lead to 49 games but yeah 2004 arguably the greatest ever team in Premier League history and one of the greatest ever teams in in football history what was that like I mean you know we saw it here um, in the Middle East on television and, and we felt the energy but what was it like being there you know game after game and no one can beat this team
1: I guess when, when you when you're going through it you know obviously after six or seven games of the season you don't think you're going to go the season unbeaten and that only really that, that, that only sort of came about I would say probably you know February or March when we still hadn't lost a game and, and there were games which were tight you know we weren't we, we didn't batter every side we drew 12 matches in that season yeah so you know if you look at if you look at the total points that that's been surpassed a fair few times since. I think Chelsea have done it, Man City and Liverpool. So, in, in terms of if you, if you ranked them purely by points, there's a teams that have had better seasons than that. But the, I think the psychological difficulty of trying to go a season unbeaten is obviously what undoes a lot of teams. And and when you, you you listen to a few of the players, they said the hardest games were the four games they played once they'd won it, to try and not yeah. lose those games. And that, that was um, yeah. I can imagine we played. I think we played Birmingham at home. I think Steve Bruce was managing Birmingham, and they just came and they, they had you know fifty five defenders. It was you know horrific, and it it was nil nil. And uh, and then sort of like two minutes into injury time, he's calling all of their players to go forward and attack, and he just thought if they if they win this, it will be an absolute disaster. So it was quite <laughs> sort of heart and mouth that sort of thing to see if they could go through and do it. And then obviously the last game, they um, I think we went one 0 down in that as well. And they come back and one two one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a, a, an astonishing achievement. And I, I never, I, I didn't even contemplate it for you know at least the first half of the season. We were just you know doing very well, playing lovely football. And we we were we were tremendous in that time. You know, we we are, the amount of goals that we used to score when other teams had corners was quite ridiculous. You know, we'd win the ball from their from their corner and then just 10 seconds, wallop, straight out of the pitch. You know, Pires, Omri, um, Bergkamp, you know, they're just storming forward. We, we, we were absolutely fantastic at that time, you know. Um, and um, <clears throat> but I'd I say, I, I, as it got closer, you started to look, because when you think about it, you think about a team going unbeaten for the season, you think, well... Loads of people must have done that, you know. Celtic must have done that, or you know, whoever AC Milan must have done it in the nineties, or Real Madrid, or Bar- but none of them have, right? AC Milan, I think, have done it once, and then the last team to do it in England were Preston, which was back in eighteen eighty something or other, you know. So it was, yeah. it was a, a, an exceptional, exceptional achievement by a really an ex- exceptional group of players. You know, that was um, that was a pinnacle. Again, you know, you you wished it would have we'd have been able to continue. But uh, you know, Abramovich turned up and just started throwing huge amounts of money at a team and, and fundamentally changed football. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking this morning, actually, knowing that we were going to do this, about sort of your, my regrets, things I wish we'd have done during that time when we were great. So I, I think two thousand three, two thousand four, we were probably the best team in Europe, um, and we lost a, that game when we lost to Chelsea in the semi uh, the quarter final of the Champions League. That's that's a real, real big disappointment for me, because um, I think we, we at half time. I remember we went down to get a beer at half time. At, at that time, we were qualifying, <clears throat> and the the, the move downstairs because downstairs at Hybrid was quite tight. You know, there was a bar and it was packed all the time. But the feeling was really great. It was it was electric in there at half time. Wayne Bridge scores and then we you know and knocked knocked us out, which was. A real devastating blow because we just lost to Manchester United in the semi-final of the FA Cup as well when United went and kicked Reyes all over the place. Um, and uh, the, the last four of the Champions League that year were Chelsea, Monaco, Porto and Deportivo La Coruña. If we'd have been in that semi-final, I really, really think we'd have won the Champions League that year, which would have been a bonus as well because Mourinho was managing Porto. There. Mourinho. It would have been lovely. We might have stopped Mourinho from happening, which would have been <laughs> fantastic. Um So yeah, and it's funny because the game after that, we played Liverpool, and Liverpool were two-one up at half time, and getting a beer at half time in that game was like the worst. It was just you know we've bom- gone from having a massive party at half time against Chelsea, so it'd be like a morgue in the, the game against Liverpool. And then, you know, that's when people probably were questioning it. I think, I think that game possibly is the one when, when we came back, I think we won it 4-2. And Omri scored an absolutely yeah. magnificent goal. We just ran through everybody at the start of the second half. That's probably the one where you think to yourself, OK, we've got nothing else to worry about now. we are just doing the league. We've got this many games to go. We've got half a chance of not losing any. <clears throat> I think that's possibly the time for me when I thought that it was possible. And I think then we played... Um, I think we played Leeds after that, and um, we won 5-2 five, five, or something, and Henri scored four goals. And again, he was at that point, he was unplayable. He was just amazing. They, they yeah. had, um, had Paul Robinson in goal, <clears throat> Leeds, and I looked at his stats today. Paul Robinson against Arsenal, just in the league, conceded 53 goals. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, and it must be said that he, he did play for a long time at Spurs so did, I think brilliant. a lot of those <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah so that was, um, uh, so, yeah, that was so, we, were, we were we were great then, you say and I, I don't think as a fan you were particularly thinking about going to season unbeaten until it got to the you know towards the end of the season and you, see, you saw that with Liverpool last year right they, they, people started talking about yeah. unbeaten season far too early because you trip, you can trip up against December.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's
1: just the, it's just this, this, it's, it's it's only happened once in over a century, so it shows. And and that's yeah. you know across all the leagues, AC Milan have done it, and hardly anybody else. Did it. I like, AC Milan, I think. I don't think, but hardly anybody else. A- a- it.
0: Celtic, I think Celtic did it with um, Rodgers and Colatouri, and Colatouri, I think, is the only ever player to be invincible twice. Good effort. A guy oh, okay. we bought for, what is it, 100 grand? <laughs> yeah,
1: Everend or somewhere, yeah. So was,
0: uh... I, mean, I mean, speaking of Spurs, I mean, they, they're quite irrelevant, you know, uh, for for many years during the, Ven- the beginning of the Vanguard. We just used to roll over them. And primarily, our, our main rival was was Man United. And particularly during that Invincible season, those games were, were, were quite fiery. How how much did you used to look forward to that?
1: To me, I don't know how long the Premiership's been going, 27 years. That period, those games were the best games that there's been in the Premier League. And it's going to take a a couple of really good sides to get better than they. They they were proper gladiator battles. You know, Roy Keane versus Patrick Vieira, just incredible. There was was one game, it wasn't that season, but we drew 1-1 up there and... Gilles Grimondi got booked. He was the only booking, but the tackles that were flying yeah. in just ludicrous. I mean, it was it was absolutely two proper, high octane, great football sides, you know, going at it hammer and tong, And that that they they were easily the best games of the season, you know. Um, a lot of times you see so a lot of times when you see Liverpool versus Manchester United, which they always bill as a huge game, it can turn out to be quite disappointing. But those games were yeah. really disappointing. They, they, you know, there was a there was a lot of animosity between those two sides, which spills back to, you know, going back to, um, uh, I guess, ni- nineteen ninety one. I think we we played at uh, Old Trafford and it all kicked off. We were we were actually docked two points, I think, for, because b- there was a big big fight. Um, and um, yeah, so I think there's always there's always been a bit of animosity between between the two sides, and um, to have two, you know. Cracking, cracking teams um, managed by people who, at the time, didn't particularly like each other. You know, they they really were chalk and cheese. When you when you think about, you know, uh, Alex Ferguson from Govan, you know, from, from up in Scotland, quite a you know gritty Scot, quite dour, and then Arson comes in and he's all sort of you know he doesn't look like a football manager at all, does he? he looks like he should be working in a <laughs> library. Um, and uh, to. to to have the sort of quips that he managed to come back to our, to, to Alex Ferguson, like you know, um, everyone's think their wife is prettiest or something. Um, he was he, it was it was uh, it was great. I mean, it was really good fun. It was quite it sort of added a bit of uh, sort of almost like pantomime villainry to the to the whole thing. Um, so they, yeah, they they were they were the biggest games, the ones that you always remember those those ones. So um, yeah, and I I wish we'd have I wish we'd have been able to win the league, win the league more. Um, but you can't deny that United were a cracking team. And as I say, if you look at players that, uh, managers that can make new sides, they, uh, Alex Ferguson did that three or four times. It's, just, it's crazy how many yeah. players he managed to get through to win leagues, it's, it's fantastic. So, um, but yeah. That, so that, the, that,
0: the best, yeah. The, the, the best of rivals come together in 2005 uh, unfortunately not at Wembley at the Millennium Stadium and our last trophy for a very long time Patrick Vieira uh, the, the final kick of the game wins us the, wins us the FA Cup and uh, goes off to Juventus did you think in 2005 that when you watched that final that, that extremely dominant Arsenal side even with sort of the financial restrictions that would come, and maybe most fans didn't realize at the time, um, you know, how financially restrained we would become. Did you think that that was the end of an era? And did you really kind of see that coming that, you know, for the next nine to 10 years, we wouldn't, we wouldn't see any, any silverware again? Uh,
1: no, not at all. I was actually, as it's funny, that final, we were, we were rubbish. That, that was a horrific. Performance by yeah. Arsenal. With, with, so, Manu battered us. How we managed to get to the game, to get to penalties was was beyond me. Um, I was really sad to see Vieira go. But as I say it, probably four or five seasons we'd had every summer that he was going to leave, and then he stayed, and he was going to leave, and he stayed. And I think the emergence of Fabregas made Wenger look and, and you know look to something new. So you know maybe do the the Barcelona tiki taka football with with. Uh, with Cleb and Rizicki and Fabregas and, and, and then Wilshere. Um, and uh, I, I thought for the first few years after that where we weren't successful and we were losing players, um, I thought we still really competed very well. I mean, I, th- I think we were very unlucky not to win the league in 2008. Um, we had yeah. a cracking team and they just fell apart towards the end of the season. Um, it, was a sh- it was a big shame to lose Ashley Cole, because I think Ashley Cole was tremendous. And I don't think we got... A, did well out of that trade, with William Galas. I don't think he was uh, particularly good for the dressing room. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I think it was sort of it was quite slow the the, the demise. And I think when you look at um, you look, so you look at the when we played with uh, Kleb, with Riziki, with Fabregas, we were good. We we weren't we weren't a beautiful player.
0: football.
1: Play wonderful football. We just we just maybe there was that. You know, after that 2004 semi-final when they just kicked Reyes to pieces, that became the mantra for a lot of clubs. Is you know they don't like it up them, so you know, go and kick them. And so then you see Ramsey's leg being snapped in half and Eduardo's leg being snapped in half and stuff. Yeah. You know, Diarra's career being ruined because of that. Um, so I, th- I think maybe that 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 sort of soft underbelly that we were perceived to have is the reason that we didn't we weren't as successful as. as um, we could have been and, and i think you, you go back to your point is what do you prefer do you prefer to see um attractive football or do you prefer to see the team winning things for that period um i was perfectly happy and i think the fans were relatively happy, you know some people like to moan and i think there were there were people back in 2008 that wanted venga gone um but I, I i think that we were um it was attractive football. I think we played well and you go over and see them play and you come away having been entertained. I I just think that the further it went on um, and when we started having, you know, starting games with Bentner and Shamak up front or, you know, Sunogo coming on and you're just thinking, you know, this is something that's gone wrong here. You know, that none of those are Nicholas and Elka, you know, that, that his, his ability to, to, to pick out those fabulous players that no one's heard of kind of fell away a bit. You know, you, I, I did think to myself, when Leicester won the league, um, why, why didn't we buy N'Golo Kente? Why didn't we buy Riyad Nairis? You know, that's just, they're the sort of people that we used to go and buy that people hadn't heard of. And, and I think whether it was a scouting thing, whether it was a money thing, or it shouldn't be a money thing, but um, we just, um, you know, we, we, we just sort of tailed off um, and it, and 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 we the the beautiful football was seen less frequently, so it, it sort of became the worst of both worlds. We weren't winning anything, and we didn't look particularly good either. You know, um, so and I think I'd say it, towards the end of his tenure, he got it back a bit because he bought. You know, we got Ozil in, we got Sanchez in, um, and we started to play well. We started to beat. Better sides. Santi Cazorla was a fantastic footballer. Um, I One of my favorites. Was, yeah, he's fantastic. And I thought Ramsey before he got injured was tremendous. Um, you know, he, he'd yeah. really sort of, he'd, he'd really grown into the, that midfield position. He was, he was scoring loads of goals, and it was just a shame that he, you know, he got injured. And, and Theo Walcott as well. You know, Theo was playing very well, and he, he was a brilliant outlet for uh, for Mesut Ozil. And getting injured in that game against Tottenham, I think that, that sort of hampered Ozil, really, because he, he needs people with pace around him. And we started, you know, I, I don't think Ozil to Giroud is necessarily the, the ball he wants to play. He wants to play through someone really quick, which is a shame now, because yeah. you think so we have got fast people up front. You know, if you've got Yang, and Ketia or Lacazette or Pepe, why haven't we got Ozil playing, sticking the ball through to him? You know, there's obviously something that's gone on there, but um, you know, it's a shame. You'd think you would probably be making hay with with uh, fast players up front like that. So, um, but.
0: I uh, mean, we're talking about. Sorry, uh, we were talking about the soft underbelly, right? And uh, there, there's no one that kind of personifies that more than I think, in in many Arsenal fans' minds, than Philip Senderos. But. In 2006, I mean, the 2000, 2005 6 season, he was part of a center back pairing uh, with Saul, along with Sol Campbell that reached the Champions League final conceding zero goals. And you can't help but think, when you look back, that if Lehman didn't get sent off, you know, even with the sort of uh, restrictions around. Uh, you know that came along with moving to the Emirates. Uh, some players might have wanted to stay, and a lot of players would have wanted to have joined. You know, uh, the European Champions. Do do you, do you feel like that's another possibly moment of regret in which you know it, it could have kicked the club on, where we we win the Champions League, we move to the Emirates, and we have a bit of momentum. Uh, is
1: that is that a big regret? Well, oh, yeah, I mean, obviously it's a regret that we didn't win the final. I'm um, <laughs> I was, I was quite lucky. I went to I went to quite a lot of those games. Um, I think uh, I think that was the season we beat Real Madrid one um,
0: yes. nil at the Berner. Um, agree.
1: Yeah, which was which was fantastic. Well, it just makes me laugh. Jose Antonio Reyes got. Injured, he wasn't really injured, and he was off the pitch, and he rolled himself back onto the pitch so the trainer could come on and stop the game, which is funny. Um, Yeah, so that was that was the year that Omri broke the goal scoring record at Sparta Prague. I went to the semi final at Villarreal as well, which we were awful in, Um, and uh, Raquel may miss the penalty in the last minute, and uh, which would have taken some extra time. Um, And say the final is just one of those things. I don't, I don't particularly. It's sad that we didn't win it, but I I didn't come away thinking anything other than, you know, it's just one of those things. Lehman got sent off. What were we going to do? You know, we went 1-0 up after uh, Emmanuel Bouet did a horrific dive, and then uh, Sol Campbell scored the header from the free kick. And I was just thinking to myself, we're going to do this. We're going to hold on. And just as I started thinking that, they scored. And they scored two in a couple of minutes, didn't they? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, what, what can you do? It's just it's just one of those, unfortunately, those sort of things happen. Um, and it's, it's funny now when you look at people wanting to sign this player and that player, you know, for uh, £50 million pound for a centre-back or where we should be getting these people in. It's very good to look back at that run, as you say, and look at the players that played to get us to that final without losing a goal. That's the longest run ever for a team in the Champions League without conceding a goal, and our and our our defence was Clichy, Senderos, um, Colo Touré, and um, Flamini played Manuel A Blue. lot, uh, for, yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flamini
0: actually
1: was yeah. right back. We had to play, play fullback for a long time, you know. And yeah. had, and so it's amazing. We actually look at those games. We went to Real Madrid, and you look at the team. And you think, blimey, we've got Clichy out there with that, you know? We we it was um. It was very impressive, and so I think I think you know we had a lot of those poor, poor centre backs, you know, so Senderos, segan and then you know Skelach and people like that. But I, don't, I think that Senderos was was would have been okay in a Burnley type setup, in a more defensively minded two banks of four or four and a five, where there's not a lot of space behind him. But he, his problem was that he didn't have much pace, you know, where Torre yeah. had a lot of pace. Senderos didn't have a lot of pace. And that was the same with a lot of those players that we that we had. Um, you know, Senderos, Stepanovs, he was the same sort of thing. Sigan, once they got turned, and because we used to play against a lot of teams that would do that, would come and defend, 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 and then break, he'd find himself exposed against someone pretty quick going forward. So, I, I, and I think, it, you know, he always seemed to look much better when he was playing for Switzerland than he did for Arsenal. So, but yeah, as you say? Yeah. It may be in those games where it's a bit more back to the wall for um, in, in the Champions League matches, that's where he actually shines, because he's just doing his job, clearing the ball, clearing the ball, getting in the way, um, as opposed to being on a halfway line and having some, you know, someone flying past him. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, but uh, you know, it, talking about the, the the inability of Arsenal to progress after that, um, I think a lot of it just comes down to money you know and i th- and i think that that we had taken a decision as a club to move to a new stadium because the extra million pound a game match day revenue was going to propel us to the top tier you know the top table of european football and then the money from television rights became huge and dwarfed match day revenue and you had a russian guy coming in spending hundreds of millions of pounds on a team down the road um, and that's affected everybody, right? You know that that the, the the real the real story of the last fifteen years of football is is is, is uh, money coming from uh, to Chelsea and to Man City. It's fundamentally altered the game, um, and I think it makes makes what Leicester did even more remarkable. You know, you, yeah. given the way these teams can just go and spend, the, the, the when you look at Arsenal we always struggled to get rid of players, you know, players yeah. see out there as an Arsenal, because I think Wenger's had a very socialist structure of wages. So the players who were the best still got paid a lot. So when they, yeah. we just couldn't get rid of them. And, and United always managed to, you know, if they wanted to get rid of Nicky Butt, John O'Shea, um, Phil Neville, they used to go and they used to get a few bob for them and, and they used to carry on. But we, we had so many players that would just stay. We couldn't shift them out. I mean, it still seems to be a little bit like that. But, you know, and, and, and you know, you look at United with the money they had, you know, uh, they bought Di Maria for I don't know how many millions of pounds. He didn't work out. They got rid of him after one year. If we'd have had a player like that, it would have been another Ozil situation, I think. Just can't shift him. You know. Um, so I, I think that. Yeah, I, think I mean, we're talking about. Yeah. Go on.
0: So it's so, so, so sort of the, the culmination of this of these glory years, you know, that Arton comes in, transforms not just uh, Arsenal, but transforms English football in general. And then we have another transformation just as, on the, as we're moving. And we have Dennis Bergkamp retiring. So there's a lot of like these, you know, shifting series at this moment. And does it looking back did you feel like this was the end of the good times especially with Um, dennis leaving yeah i mean it's it's tiring i should say
1: yeah when when any player of that quality goes i mean he really was an exceptional footballer He was just beautiful to watch and he was quite hard as well he didn't you know he he, he, um yeah he, he 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 could look after himself um I think you just have to, you know, you you just have to hope that what we had to replace him. Mean, it's very difficult to replace someone as good as Dennis Bergkamp. There aren't many players like him, um, and and I, I think that he really did focus his attention on the whole Fabregas project because Fabregas was was a terrific player, um, and I don't know. I, th- I thought we were. I thought we were competitive, as I say. I, I think right the way up to two thousand and eight, I thought we were. A, we were uh, a good side and were not too far away from challenging for the title. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think that it was. Um, it took a bit of a while to bed into the new stadium. I don't think we were firing on all cylinders. Right, so I think we lost our first game to West Ham. Um, yeah. But, but, um, yeah, I, 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 I guess when when you've had a lot of success. Um, you become a little bit complacent about um, it stopping. You don't think it's going to stop. You, you just assume that you'll carry on as you are, and that every purchase he makes is going to be excellent. Um, and, I, and I think that uh, you know, to go from from that high point to the new, you know the new stadium, having been in the Champions League final, to then get to that point where you know we get beat eight two at Manchester United and um, uh He goes and makes i think five we got bought five players on deadline day or something you know around you know bought arteta Murtasaka, the the guy from Korea that never ever played for us i don 't think art young art young yeah for was it ten million or something and and I reckon that 's one of the reasons we didn 't manage to get Eden Hazard because we uh, upset the the club that he was playing for in that transfer and then we, and then uh, Andre Santos we bought in as well, and awesome uh, player. player yeah it was just um it was just it smacked of panic and it and and that that was the time when you thought to yourself wow we've we've really we're not going to be challenging for ages um yeah and, and so i I don't mind not challenging if the football's great um but uh, we we sort of weren't getting either of that really then you know we did it in in patches, but that that it was all become very, very sort of intricate passing the ball from one side of the pitch to the other and it became quite monotonous. It wasn't as exciting as, you know, those days when Birmingham would have a corner and then ten seconds later we'd have scored. You know, that that that, I think I think that changed the way that that we had a lot of power back then and 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 we turned more into finesse trying to unlock a door. And it, it became so it wasn't as 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 enjoyable as as the early years, obviously. Um, and again, you had the drip, drip, drip of selling player year after year. I think that was that was a big one. You know, when you saw Man City win the league um, with uh, you know Arsenal players in their in their team. You know, uh, Nasri, Clichy. Uh, Colo Torre went there as well, didn't he? That 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 was a bit galling because you just think, you know, we're Arsenal. Why do why are we having to sell our players to a team like Man City, who a few years back were playing in the third flight of English football? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, it is what it is. Unfortunately, you know, we, we we've got an, an owner who is not willing to chuck out loads of money. Um, but when you look back to the to the Arsenal's great signings, they didn't cost a lot of money anyway, you know. So hopefully we, the people that will go on to be great players for Arsenal going forward are people like Martinelli, which didn't, you know, didn't cost us much at all coming from Brazil because we'd have a decent scouting network. I think that's where where we sort of fell over a bit in that, the, the latter part of Wenger's tenure. We just, we just didn't particularly Pick out those players that went on to do very well. So, um, but you know, all in all, he's he, he had a he's had a, a a big effect on the club obviously and on football in general, as you say. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he comes back and does anything at a club level again. Um, i would
0: surprise me if you want to i don't know if it says that in the book does it easy. um so i'm just about finished nearly there but from what he said in the media and in the book i think we've seen the, the last of arson wenger at, at a club level even at the international level i can't see him coming back um but like you said what a great career he had at arsenal i mean uh, the latter years aside, do, do you want to kind of, thank you so much for for agreeing to do this and, and telling us your stories? Do, do you want to kind of wrap up the the, the glory years with uh, maybe um, your your highlights? What, what what do you think you know Wenger's legacy was uh, ultimately uh, at Arsenal? Um, well, I mean,
1: obviously the the the, the trophies the the. I remember as a kid going over to see Arsenal play and the away fans singing boring, boring Arsenal. You know, for a long time, that's what it used to be. And and he made us anything but boring. You know, he he just turbocharged the club. Um, We played some scintillating, scintillating football. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I guess people will always say that the... Going through the season unbeaten was great, but for me, 1998 was was just fantastic because we've been it been quite a long time, and Manchester United was so dominant at that time, and we were really unknown. And you know, you look back to that game when we beat United 3-2 at home, and Vieira scores an absolute belter, when, and the, and the place just went bonkers. You no, know, it was, and then the, the I think David Platt scored a header in the second half to win it. But that that feeling that you got then, that wow, how good are we? And It was really because we we've been through that lean spell in the mid nineties where we were dull, and then we by the end of the decade, we just turned into this absolute monster, and it was uh, that that to me it was it just just put a smile on people's faces. And people were yeah. you know proud to say they supported the club after a, a period when they were just a bit ordinary. We became he made us something extraordinary, which was. Uh, you know, um, fantastic. I, I wish, my, I say, I wish my dad would have been about to see it. Um, I took my son to the to, um, to the uh, home game against Charlton at Highbury when he was three. So it was the last the last uh, season, and uh, I managed to get him into Arsene Wenger's seat at the end of the game. So he'd been to Highbury, which was lovely. Um, but yeah, he, he, he just made um, made a lot of people happy. I think. With the, with the way that he played football, um, with the way that he took it to Manchester United, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a cracking time. So people that a lot of people started supporting Arsenal around that time, you know, yeah. Um, and so they didn't have any of the say less fruitful years uh, following them. Um, so which I think possibly makes it harder for people now, you know, or you know, if we haven't been performing so well. Um, to understand that it wasn't always like that you know he was uh, he he changed the club and made us something really fantastic so um, we, we thank thank arsene and thank david dean for having the foresight to pick someone that no one had heard of right
0: that is our show we hope you enjoyed listening along just as much as we enjoyed putting this together if you liked what you heard be sure to subscribe You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Next up, in part two, we discuss the move to the Emirates before we wrap up our series in part three, discussing the decline. Until next time, see you later.